In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to the ages of all ages, Amen. Can I uh, give a real honest disclosure? Um, this is being recorded, so, uh, but nonetheless. Um, I had a lot of difficulty preparing today's talk. Um, I had like three cracks at it. Uh, that's very unusual for me. Usually I know exactly what it is um, um, is next in the, in, the, in, the, in the series and what makes sense, you know, to share with you. Um, but, and, and it was, it was only after, you know, um, multiple iterations of this talk that it became so clear to me. It became so clear to me that, that what the next thing we need to talk about is what is the relationship between all of the members of the body of Christ. We've been talking, so quick, a quick review. We've been talking about how um, we start off by saying how we're created for service. God has created us for him. The first week we shared, you, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we were saying, you know, we use the analogy of a flathead screwdriver. And we said like a flathead screwdriver is made to screw in flathead screws, but the flathead screws were made at the same time as the flathead screwdriver. Like God, when he, God, when God created you, he created you to do good works that he had already prepared for you to do. He prepared those in advance. He had been thinking about you. So he made you in a special way. So you would fit into the special thing that he wants you to do. And it's all been prepared from advance. That's what we talked about in the first week. The second week, we talked about how Every different ministry, every different function in the body of Christ is incredibly useful and needed. And when it's gone, it's grossly missed. And so not only is every person important, but every function in the body of Christ is important. And sometimes we have like a hierarchy of of, of things like, you know, like some services are kind of more prestigious or more or more valuable sometimes in the office, for example, or in your in, in a business or in the, in the corporate workplace or whatever. Sometimes one one uh, one role might be more um, more prestigious than another. But in the body of Christ, it's not like that at all, because really he put us here for his good pleasure and he put us here just as he pleased. So it pleased him to make somebody the person who mops the floors and somebody else the person who clears the tables and somebody else the person who cooks and the person somebody who makes the coffee and it pleased him to make each person belong in a specific place doing a specific thing and each one of those specific thing brings pleasure to him so in a, in a company, for example, where the bottom line is in dollars, right? Then your, your value, the value you add to the company is the value of how much money you bring into the company, right? So, you know, how much money you bring in versus how much you cost, you know, that's kind of like your value in the company, right? And that's how, that's how the company may value, that's how the company may value you, right? Even a friend of mine was telling me that uh, in project management, 
they've moved away from this term because they finally realized how diminutive it is, where, you know, if you're doing a project and you need three more people to help, people are called resources. So you call human resources and you say, I need three more resources. They're not human beings, right? They're just, they are what they can provide. You know, I need a developer. I need a this, I need a that. So they don't have a name. They don't have, they don't have a, a personality. We're not interested in any of that. We're interested in what you can give the company because the company measures in dollars and cents as a bottom line. I'm not putting that down to each their own, right? God didn't put me here to judge nobody, but I'm here to tell you how does God's company work? Well, in God's company, your, his value is you're valued by how much pleasure you bring to him. And when the flathead screwdriver is screwing the flathead screw, that brings pleasure to him, right? So each person, regardless of the, the traditional ways of measuring value, brings value to God in as much as we are bringing pleasure to him, right? where each member is really in its place doing doing its thing and we shared some some quotes you know by famous people and michael jordan saying talent wins games but teamwork and intelligence wins championships which is you know really nice and great and helen keller says alone we can do so little but together we can do so much but the obvious question then is how do all of these different parts work together how do they integrate how do they fit together so that they don't bump heads how do they fit together so that they end up being you know useful to each other they end up being helpful to each other not end up being a harm and being annoying to each other right that's what we're that's what we're going to talk about today right this is like the key verse that we're going to look at right jesus himself christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love hard to get right it's a bit it's a bit hard to get the reason it is it's is because saint paul here saint john chrysostom says that saint paul was so excited he was so excited to share this he just couldn't help but share multiple ideas all in the same sentence so it ends up being this big long run-on sentence right where saint paul is trying to say so many things all in one sentence saint john chrysostom says this so if you feel like you don't get like like you you need to break this down to get it don't worry even the saints felt felt that way so if we break it down right christ from whom the whole body is joined and knit so jesus is the source he's the head and we're all members of his body and we're all kind of attached to him in various different ways joined and knit together by what every joint supplies so the bond between you and me is what this this part supplies and that part supplies right so like the bond that we have here in our agape meal and our in our in our meal of love as this is called even since the early christian church that's what it was called even there's some second century sources that call this the agape meal the meal of love what binds us is the meal right so in many small christian communities what they'll do is they'll have they'll, they'll have this be a potluck each person will bring something and it's that meal that causes everybody to stay and hang around and share a meal together if nobody brought any food everybody would come and pray and leave right it's 
what each person brings, what each person contributes, what each person supplies, that ends up being the glue that joins us together. So sometimes people come and tell me, Father John, I've, I've been coming to this church for three months and I just feel like I don't fit in. I feel like I don't know anybody and uh, nobody says hi to me and nobody asks about me and I was sick for two weeks and nobody called me and nobody... You know what my first question is in the most polite and gentle way I can say it is how many people have you called? Maybe, maybe people are doing the golden rule. They're treating you the way that you treat them. Not because they're not, it's not tit for tat. It's not like, well, you didn't call me, so I'm not going to call you. No, no, no. It's like, well, let me see. Like, like, Mina doesn't really call me. So maybe Mina doesn't want me to like pry into his business. Like maybe he's just kind of a private person. So if, if he doesn't call me, then maybe I shouldn't call him. I don't want to irritate him. I don't want to get in his, get in his way and get in his, get in his stuff, you know, right? But it's, it's what each of us contributes into the body of Christ. That's what, that's what joins and knits us together. That's what creates an environment that can nurture our togetherness, right? According to the effective working by which each uh, uh, and every part does its share. This is the crux of what we're going to talk about today. Really, the crux of it all is that is that everything that we do here at church, okay, anybody like that's halfway through high school can do it. Like, I don't do anything. I don't do anything that is like high level i don't know what you know like i like like i have a master's degree in epidemiology and statistics and uh you know and uh, and other you know other things in my education i don't use any of that to do my day-to-day -day work most of what i do anybody can do right and that's the point is that everything that we do is so simple. Get somebody a cup of coffee, get them a drink of water. You find after you leave, after everybody leaves here on Sunday, there's, I, I guarantee you there's at least five or six empty cups hanging around. Any human being with eyes and hands can go and pick up those couple of cups and put them in the recycling bin. Like it's not rocket science, you know, it's not hard, right? All it requires all it requires, right, is for each person to do their share, for each person to do what, they're, what they can do. And that's what kind of, that's the glue that holds us together. But the thing is, is that there's only 24 hours in a day, there's only so much energy and time, so even if there's a million little tasks, that all of them can be done by any person, they can't all be done by one person. That's the point. The point is, is that we get tired and we're going to talk a lot more about that. This is all kind of the introduction. What ends up happening is the edifying of the body in love. It's like the body is building itself up. Imagine, um, imagine, imagine, right? Like, like these condo towers that are going up left, right and center here in Toronto. Imagine like the one day you cross by, you know, you're driving by a, one of these condo towers and there's no construction workers. The tower is building itself. That's what St. Paul says the body, is, is the body. Why would that never happen? Because these, these buildings are dead. They're stone and mortar. There's no life to them. But this is a living body. And so this living body builds itself up. Each, each, each member of the body 
supplies something, provides something, does something, and it builds, it builds the body up. And that ends up being the glue that holds the body together. St. John Christen uses this analogy. He says it's like the nervous system, right? Where the brain is connected to all the different body parts, but the signals that go to and from all the body parts to the brain aren't going to be the same. So your, your nose is going to send some, you know, some smell signals to your brain. Your eyes are going to send visual signals to your brain, right? Your tongue is going to send, you know, taste signals to your brain and is going to get back some motor signals. Your hands, I don't know, you know, pain and vibration and heat and touch and all of that, right? And it's going to get back also some motor, so, so, some motor signals. So the relationship between each part of the body and the head is not going to be the same. But the relationship of all the members of the body to each other is largely the same. So we shouldn't expect that the relationship between God and me is going to be the same as the relationship between God and you and God and the next person because we're all different. And God knows what you're good at and God knows how you are and He knows how you tick and He knows what makes you function and He knows, he knows how to reach you so He'll speak to you in the way that works for you. And we all have to respect each other in that. You know, and if we find somebody's all so touchy-feely and somebody else is so, is really into very academic and into the books and so on, that's fine. And we just have to respect each other as we are, right? And have that relationship, that relationship of respect and love between each other. But what is, how can we further define or characterize the relationship between all the different body parts, right? So when we talk about relationships between things in the psychology literature, they love this stuff, okay? They talk about four different ways of relating to people that we're close to. Dependence, independence, codependence, and interdependence. Dependence says, you serve me. Dependence says, I can't do this without you. So I need you. I need you to do this for me. What am I going to provide back? Doesn't matter. Right? I need, you, I need you to... Independence is the opposite. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I can do it by myself. Right? Codependence is I need you for my survival and you need me for your survival. And without each other, we will die. Right? Dependence and codependence are kind of suffocating. You know, we often talk about codependence in marriage as, you know, at first it's really nice. At first it's really nice to feel that your spouse would die without you, you know? But after a while, it gets kind of suffocating because what if you need to go on a business trip? What if you need to go to work? What if you want to take a shower? You know what I mean? It's, it's you know, it's a, it's, it's a little bit suffocating, right? Interdependence is I can do it on my own. And you could probably do it on your own as well. But together, we can do it much better. Together, we can do a much better job. We could survive on our own. We'll be all right. Everything will be okay. But it won't be great. If we really, wanna, if we really want to maximize all the untapped potential, it's going to take both of us working together. And so interdependence is more of the model that we look at here in the church and look at, and, and, and it's probably the, the kind of, it's tooted as probably the healthiest model, um, you know, for, for almost all or most of our relationships. That doesn't mean that we start there, 
right? And uh, I'm going to give maybe a couple of examples here at church, which you could extrapolate them to work and home and all of your other um, school and all of, all of the other contexts in which, in which you are, right? There's a few other terms we need to think about. Individual. The word individual does not exist in orthodox thought. The word individual from the dictionary is a single human being as distinct from a group or class or family. That just doesn't exist. Like, we don't say, like in orthodox, we don't say that individualism is bad or, or you shouldn't be individualistic or being an individual is selfish. We don't say that. We just say it just, it just doesn't exist. There's no such thing as an individual. There's no such thing as a person who exists in a vacuum and they exist without relationships to anyone else. All of us exist with some kind of relationship to somebody else, right? Even the hermits who lived in the desert had a relationship with the church. When St. Anthony goes to meet St. Paul the Hermit, St. Paul the Hermit asks him four questions. He doesn't ask him, what's your name? Or, gee, how was the trip? Or, Did, was it tough? Did you suffer in the desert? He doesn't ask him any of that. He asks him four questions. He asks him, is the king a tyrant? Is there famine? Is there pestilence? And one other thing I can't remember. He asks him about the well-being of people at large. Why? Because he's connected. He's been praying for them for 80 years. He's never seen a human being. And he's been praying for them. And he's asking. And he's curious. And he wants to know. Are my prayers being answered? He wants to know the well-being of the people whom he loves so much. Right? So, then there's the word person. The word person comes from the Greek word persona, which literally means face-to-face. It literally means face-to-face. I know myself from the people who are around me. I'll tell you something. Before I was a priest and I wore a black cassock every day, right? I knew if what I was wearing was like acceptable to walk out of the house by the facial expression of my mom or my sister, you know? Mary's a little bit, she's British, she's a little bit more reserved, right? But the facial expression mostly of my sister told it all, right? I didn't, she didn't need to say anything. It was very clear whether I was matching or not matching or whether, you know, I had a, you know, mustard stain on my sweater or, you know. We know ourselves, we know ourselves from the people who are around us. There's a famous Russian novelist who is, you know, almost a theologian, you could say, Dostoevsky, writes in one of his novels that hell, hell is to be chained back to back with a person to converse with them all like for all of eternity without ever being able to see them face to face to have a conversation to know everything about somebody without knowing them person a person is who they are understands themselves and their place in the world by the things that are around them not defines themselves understands themselves right by the things that are around them so we have to ask ourselves are we individuals in association are we individuals who have said you're like me and you're like me and you're like me you're not like me you're not so i can be we can be together or are we persons in community are we are we people who are so attached to each other we find that we don't really have a meaningful existence outside of the body of Christ, not necessarily each other, but the mystical body of Christ, the wholeness of the church. So I've entered into the church as a community, 
and I accept it for what it is and it makes me all that I'm made to be. If we want an example, the most classic and you know, initial, original example of community is the Holy Trinity. And it's the icon, the perfect icon of interdependence. It's an icon of relationship of members that all form one corpus, one body. All three persons are consubstantial with each other. They are of one essence. And never, never at any time do they exist outside or without each other. And yet each one has its own function. Each one has its own, its, its, its own work. We won't go too much more into Trinitarian theology, but Bishop Callistos talks a little bit about that. He says, each social group, family, parish, diocese, church, council, school, office, factory, nation, has as its vocation to be transformed by grace into a living icon of the Holy Trinity, to effect a reconciling harmony between diversity and unity, human freedom and mutual solidarity, after the pattern of the Trinity, our belief in a Trinitarian God, in a God of social interrelationship and shared love, commits us to opposing all forms of exploitation, injustice, and discrimination. What he's saying here is that the Holy Trinity is not some esoteric, mysterious theological concept that is of use only to theologians who want to sit and discuss things that have nothing to do with life. That's not what the Holy Trinity is or our theology of the Trinity. Our theology of the Trinity boils down to exactly how I live and I am in any kind of group of people. The church, work, home, and so everything I'm saying here will work in any Christian community and arguably in any human community because we are all created in God's image and in his likeness. Today we often find ourselves saying things like it's all about me or every man, woman for himself or herself. But Jesus doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. It says do unto others as you would have done unto you. Right? So we find that this, this teaching or this concept of individualism is completely foreign to scripture. It's completely foreign to Jesus' teaching. Nothing Jesus says, says be an individual. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this beautiful book called uh, Our, uh, um, I think, Our Life Together. He um, was a pastor and theologian um, and uh, activist during the Second World War, and he harbored Jews, and then in the end, he ended up going to the concentration camps. And every concentration camp he would go to, he would start a Christian community there. And they would say that the prisoners in the concentration camps were so joyful gathered together that they would get so frustrated with him they'd move him to another camp until finally they decided to just to just kill him and he died as a martyr in the concentration camps in world war ii he says the christian needs another christian who speaks god's word to him he needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. I am thoroughly convinced I have almost never shared anything with any of you in all the million talks I've done at SMSK that you all didn't know already. And Jesus says that. He says that I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will remind you of the things that I have said to you. He didn't say I will teach you new things you never knew. Oh, 
He'll just remind you of the things that I said to you. Why? Because it's almost like God wants to work from within us and God wants to work from without, outside of us. He wants both, right? For In the end, for what? For our wholeness, for our edification, and for our glorification to be glorified with Him. Bishop Kalista says in another book on the Orthodox Way, he says, because we know that God is three in one, each of us is committing, committed to living sacrificially in and for the other. Each is committed irrevocably to a life of practical service of active compassion. You cannot say that your God is the God, the Holy Trinity. He is your God. Your God is Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for the world. And then say, me, myself, and I. You can't. You can't say, this is my hero. This is my role model. This is, this is who I am, in, I am being transformed to become a member in this in the Holy Trinity you can't say I have communion to have communion is to commune to be one with the one who gives himself for others and then say me myself it just doesn't work it just doesn't work we we are by necessity by necessity of our worldview by necessity of our faith by necessity of where we belong find ourselves looking for somebody whom we can wash their feet F.B. Meyer says something really nice. He says, the unity or oneness of the spirit is a divine reality. This is really beautiful. This is really, really beautiful. Because sometimes, can I be honest with you? Okay, can I be really honest with you? Can I be really frank with you? Sometimes I don't feel like we're really super united. Like I've been in other Christian communities that are much less united than we are. But sometimes I get the feeling like these people are kind of doing their thing and this person's doing their thing and this person doesn't know it's, and, and everybody's just kind of kind of discombobulated, you know, and not necessarily like all, you know, gears fitting together and working together for the edifying of the body and blah, 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 and all that good stuff, right? And sometimes I feel, and I, and I pray and I tell God, God, why are we falling apart? And this and that, I want to tell you that, that that's wrong. That's wrong. It's, it is simply a divine reality that we are one body in Christ. It's not, it's, it's as real as, as gravity. So there are lots of scientific laws that we don't observe with the naked eye. This is one of them. This is a spiritual law that we don't always observe with the naked eye. We don't always see the body of Christ glued together. But every Meyer is telling us it's a divine reality which we have not to make but to keep. It's not us to create unity. It's us up to us to maintain it and to safeguard it. Try as we may, we cannot make it a whit more perfect than it is. No basis for agreement, no conferences or conventions can do this. But we are called upon to give all diligence that the divine ideal may be realized as far as possible among the saints, among us. There will never be uniformity, but there may be unity. The pipes in a great organ will never be of the same length or the same tone, but they may be supplied by the same breath and conspire together to utter the same melody. It must be our endeavor to guard against 
everything that would jar with the inner unity of the spirit jealousy bickering harsh words uncharitable misrepresentations these must be under ban of the loving soul we must forbear one another in love it's not up to us to create unity it's up to us to preserve it and we preserve it by keeping at the forefront of our minds that relationship of interdependence I want to work with you because working with you we can do better we can do more we can bring more glory to God we can live a more glorified and, ho and whole life in Christ the secret to it all is really in the prayer the church has put for us in the prime prayer in the morning prayer gives us this little blurb from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 5 the church is very wise and very simple and has given us all the means for our success St. Paul says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you, like I beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's enough for me to read this every morning and tell myself, I'm gonna, there, there's many, many things it says to do here, okay? Which one am I gonna do today? I'm just gonna do one today. Am I gonna be lowly today? Am I gonna be gentle today? Am I gonna be long-suffering today? Am I gonna bear with one another in love today? Am I gonna endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? What am I gonna do today? It's enough to pick one thing and tell yourself, today, I'm gonna struggle to do this. I used to do that at work in a very contentious work environment. And I found great peace and I found great focus because I was just trying to do one thing. Relay race teams are very interesting. Have you ever thought about this? A relay race team is usually four people. They run a, each person runs 100 or 200 meters for a total of 400 or 800 meters, right? They run, they pass the baton to the next person. Have you ever thought about this? It is highly unlikely that every single person on that team runs at the same speed. I mean, in all likelihood, one of those four people is the fastest. Okay, well, so, you know, you know, me, Mark, Nancy, and Mira, just the people sitting in front of me, are on a racing team, right? And Mira is the fastest. Why not have Mira run the whole race? We can wait for her at the finish line. When she gets there, we can clap. She runs faster than the three of us. So wouldn't it make sense to have her run the whole race? No. Why not? Because it's a sprint, right? It's a sprint. It's a, it's, a, it's a short distance over which you run the very fastest that you can, right? So how far can you sprint? I don't know. I'm a, you know, the last kind of running I did was long distance running right? It's the exact opposite. You try to pace yourself and all this, right? How far can you sprint? I don't know, 100 meters, 200 meters, 250 meters, 300 meters. You can't sprint. That's the point. You can't sprint all 800 meters. Mira may be the fastest and she may be better than all of us. And I may be the slowest, but I have a place on the team as well. And there's a specific order in which they line up the people, the fastest, and then the, the this, and then, uh, and then the slowest, and then the very fastest at the end, the anchor to, to, pick, up, to, to, to pick up the slack for the team and, and try to win it for them, right? The point is, is that yes, 
one person could probably carry the church. Yes, your team at work, one person could probably carry the team. And they could probably make it to the finish line. But they can't win. They can't win. It takes every team member to win. It's not that it's, not that it's too difficult or complicated or intellectually challenging. It's a question of capacity. God didn't create us with unlimited capacity because He wants us. He wants us to share in it together. So it's interdependence. Yes, any one of these team, team, team players could make it to the finish line. But if they want to win, they're going to have to work together. So what ought we do? Let's get real practical here and wrap it up. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. St. Paul is saying what? He's saying, look, encourage each other. Encourage each other. You ran your first stint in the relay, and you're done. Clap, cheer, encourage the next person. You're the next person, and you're waiting for the baton? Call that person. Excite them, share with them, um, and carry the burden and carry the burden with them. Take home number one is appreciation. In this week, in this coming week, look around yourself at church, at work, at home, somewhere, okay? And find something that somebody is doing that you haven't thanked them for, or at least haven't thanked them for in a long time, and stop and thank them. But people really love specific appreciation. There's all kinds of different languages of appreciation. Like there's five love languages. There's five appreciation languages. And we could talk about that sometime. But in short, appreciation goes much further a distance the more genuine it appears. The things that make it appear genuine typically are when it's specific and when it's personal. So use somebody's name. Alex, thank you very much for wearing that t-shirt. It made a big difference to me. You know? That's very simple. Specific and personal. Just use the person's name and call out something specific that they did that contributed to the thing that you're grateful for. Take home number two. Lend a hand. Find somebody who's doing something different than you and ask them if you can lend a hand. Ask them if you can, if you can help them with what they're doing. One of the best things that comes out of this is it deepens take home number one. It deepens my appreciation for what somebody else does when I have to do it. I remember I used to complain all the time about how long it takes Mary to get the girls ready and get them out of the house and how much it's that much. And then... And then at one point, I found myself always standing at the door saying, can we leave? We're going to be late. Can we leave? We're going to be late. And then it dawned on me to try to say it in a positive way. Like, what can I do to help us leave? Because we're going to be late. Right? I still, <laughs> right? <Sorry>. Right? <laughs> you know, what, ha what happened then? I started doing stuff and I realized, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. And you can't do this stuff all the night before. Like some of it, you just got to do it the morning of. And all of a sudden, it deepened my appreciation. What did it do for my wife? It made her feel like she's got a partner in crime. 
made her feel like she's got somebody working with her, right? So first thing was appreciation. Second one was lend a hand. Third thing is think of someone you feel, <clears throat> you're, um, think of something that you feel is lacking in your service or a direction that you want to take your service or want to take your work or you want to take something at home or something in your life, right? And you just can't do it by yourself. That is, uh, that is, I'm spelling out independence, you know? I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do this, and it's just not working, and I just can't make it work. Yeah, because that's because I'm trying to do it by myself. Pick something in there and reach out to somebody and say, hey, can you help me? Can you help me with this? So first was appreciation. Second was lending a hand. Third is ask for some help. The fourth is my favorite. We'll just wrap up. This was a really good example, actually. I'll just share this really quick. So, you know, and, and looking for uh, illustrations and ideas to make this come, bring it home. So, the blind pistol shrimp and the goby fish spend most of their life together. So, the shrimp is blind, right? Um, uh, and, 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 the, uh, and the fish needs the shrimp to live. So what do they do? They just basically spend almost their entire life together. The fish burrows a little hole that the shrimp can hide in. And when, the, when a predator is coming, the fish like nudges the shrimp and he goes into the burrow and then the fish goes in after him. And because of the, like, their colors and this and that, the shrimp gets hidden underneath and the, the, the fish becomes like a lid and he saves the shrimp from predators. And that way they live in this symbiotic relationship they literally cannot live without each other right the fourth take home is my favorite think of something that you're waiting on somebody to do okay that's dependence i need you to do this you didn't do it please do it i need you to do it i need you to do this please do it you didn't do it please do this thing right think of something that you're waiting on to get done and ask that person if you can help them Right? Share with them. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they know how to do it. They just can't find the time. Maybe they're like, they just love doing things with another person. And they'll be more encouraged. It'll move, it'll move up their priority list if, they ha if it's more fun to do. And it's more fun to do things with another person. Some people like to work alone. Some people like to work with people. Right? So there's all, there's all these different kinds of ways in short, in short, in each one of your relationships with people, ask yourself, in this relationship, am I dependent? Am I independent? Am I codependent? Or am I interdependent? Reviewing those definitions for you again, dependent is real simple. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I can't move forward until you do this. I need you to do this and so on, right? Independent is the opposite. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I can do it by myself, right? Codependent is... I need you for my survival and you need me for your survival. And without you, I can't live. Which is fine, it's okay at first and then it gets kind of suffocating. Interdependent is, I can do it on my own, but together we can do it, we can do it better. Let's conclude with this, uh, with this, you know, in a caricature, any caricature, Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, right? Anybody, right? I found when I put caricature into Google images, I found like every caricature you could imagine of Donald Trump. And I was like, I am not putting Donald Trump in one of my talks. I would rather put Mr. Bean, right? 
He makes more sense to me, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? In a caricature, you will sometimes see a large body on a very diminutive, large head, sorry, on a very um, diminutive or dwarfed body. But there will be no disparity between the head and the body when the divine workmanship is complete. We are diminutive and dwarfed just now. But as we abide in him, we shall grow and expand until each member of the mystical body shall fill out its complete proportion and the ideal man shall stand forth before the gaze of the universe in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But this can only be when each joint shall supply to the whole its appropriate nutriment and when we all give ourselves unweariedly to perfect one another in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us this perfect model, Lord, of interdependence in, in you, Lord, in the Holy Trinity, in the relationship between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you treat us this way. Lord, you could be perfectly independent of us, but you choose not to be. You wish to work through us. You wish to work with us, and you wish for us to work with you and with each other. Please, Lord, give us, each one of us, to pray and to question and to ask, Lord, what can I do? What can I supply? What can I give to this body? What's my contribution? How do I fit in? What has God created me for? Give us, Lord, that divine curiosity burning in our hearts, Lord. Give us to fit in, to fit into your body, not in a sense of like, of wanting to have friends and, and uh, feel, like just feel good, you know? No, no, no. But to be useful to you, Lord, to bring glory to your holy name, to, to make uh, so, so much more of a beautiful experience for each one of our brothers and sisters that are here. Give us to have this attitude in our homes and in our work, everywhere that we go and in all that we do. In your mighty name we pray through the intercessions and prayers of all your saints, the prayers of my beloved brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers gathered here. Hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of heaven. And now the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and have a lovely, 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 warm June Sunday. God bless you.